You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. The book of Lamentations today, if you have a Bible, if you don't, I'll try to uh, rehearse most of it for you. And in closing today, and it won't be very long this morning, in these last few moments, we're in a series right now from the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is a little bit difficult to find. There's only five chapters. And so if you'll get to Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ecclesiastes. The writer of Ecclesiastes, a weeping prophet, he had 41 years and zero success. He warned the people of Israel they were going to go into judgment. When he begins the chapter, and this is our eighth message from this five-chapter book, when he begins the book, he tells them judgment's coming. The year was 588 B.C. He warned for two years. He said, I've been warning you folks for 40, 39 years. And then two years later, on April, I believe it was 14th, 586 B.C., Israel fell. It's a chapter, and every chapter has about 80 times words like terrible, our adversary, our wounds, our sorrows, our mourning. The nation never recovered in these days. And the Bible said of this great place, it was once renowned. Our series is When a Nation Forgets God. And young people that are here and throughout the auditorium, there's always consequences. When we forget God, God's word says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Sin is a reproach to any people. We are legislating sin on every front. And these kids up here and down below and the young people, when our college students get back next week and fill these balconies here, they're the ones that are going to pay for my generation's wickedness. The Bible says, how doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become a widow? She that was great, now she's a tributary. She weepeth sore in the night. Her tears are on her cheek. Among all her lovers, there are none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into captivity because of affliction and because of the great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. Zion do mourn. The Bible says in this next verse, she's desolate. Her priests are leadership and religious leaders sigh. Her virgins are afflicted. She's in bitterness. Her adversaries are the chief and her enemies prosper. The Lord afflicted her, the multitude of her transgressions, for her children are gone to captivity before the enemy. From the daughter of Zion, her beauty is departed. Verse number seven says, Jerusalem remembereth in all the days of her affliction and her miseries, her pleasant things, the things that she had in days of old. Look at verse eight. Jerusalem hath grievously 
sinned. She is removed. Verse number seven speaks about the days of old. I, I can't believe it's happened so fast. For some reason, I can relate with that because I remember the old days in this area. I went to high school uh, just about 15 minutes from here in Centerville, which later became in 1956 a Fremont. When it became a city, and I remember that year we had five little cities and each one had 2,500 people and it became Fremont with 10,000 people. We were separated. We're the sixth largest land mass city in America at that time, beginning our city in the middle of Dumbarton Bridge and sweeping out over this area. We had a little city, and every one of those little five cities had a little downtown. And we had a high school, and I went to that high school that began in the 1800s. In fact, the little building, original building, when they moved to their present location in the 1890s, I went to church in that little building. I remember my dad taking me outside to spank me on a Sunday night because I wasn't listening. Brother Dennis, you're a funeral director, and at where your funeral home is, their first one that is, on Peralta, I was there years ago, and I said to the man before you owned it, I said, you know, I remember that tree back there. I said, was there a school here one time, little, little A-frame school? And he goes, there was. And he pulled out the pictures. I said, my dad spanked me by that tree. <laughs> I wish you could arrest my dad right now, but he's in heaven. He's been gone. But I remember that occasion. You know, I remember as a boy when we, that flag no one spit on it, no one burned it, no one stomped on it. We had respect for the flag. I remember respect for authority. I remember when prayer was in public school, my public school, and my teacher would say, let's pray for our snack this morning, right nearby. I remember when prayer was 62 and the Bible 63 was kicked out of the school. By the way, on our campus, we did not have police. But you get rid of God, you get rid of prayer, you get rid of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, all of a sudden you invite problems to the society. I remember the principals up into high school when they'd call your name over an intercom to come to the office because you were going to get a, you're not going to believe what this is called, a spanking. I remember two boys called and they said, oh boy, we're going to get a spanking. You don't know what a spanking is, but a spanking is when you turn over your dad's knee and he uses, my dad used his hand. My wife was a machine gun with our kids and you're too late to arrest us now. She just, man, could she spank fast. It tore me up. I spanked three times our kids and all the, all the ministry, they're all preachers now around the country. Wait a minute. I can remember spanking Tim one time. It wasn't his fault. It was his sister's. I turned him over my knee and I said, Tim, this is going to hurt you more than it hurt me. My dad used to say that all the time. My dad lied, I lied, but it did hurt me. I remember the first one, it was like this. That doesn't hurt. The second one was like this, and the third one was just I sort of pushed it in there. I wasn't a good disciplinarian. 
But I remember the schools they did. I remember when television came out, I'm dating myself, but when it came out black and white, and there was only three stations, ABC, CBS, and NBC, and at 11 o'clock every night, you just had a circle on there, and it went off there. There's no television in the middle of the night. I'm so old, I remember when there's no cell phones. But most of you remember that too. I remember families, you didn't go to Burger King and Carl's Jr. and all that, because you didn't have, we had one place in town called Bobo's. You bought six hamburgers for a buck. And about every other month, my parents would say, let's go to Bobo's tonight. But every night was family dinner time. And you raised your children from that table. It was always a happy time. It wasn't a disciplined time. It wasn't a correcting time. It was a happy time. And though our kids are all gone and grandkids are gone, we, we, the two of us, we have dinner, and that's my wife's time to instruct me now, and she corrects me all the, well, maybe not. I remember on Sunday in this area, Fremont, you could not get gasoline on Sunday. The Shell station was closed. The Fly and A gas station was closed. The mobile station was closed. We had a grocery store. It wasn't related, to, wasn't related to the military. It was called PX. You could not go to the PX on, on Sunday because it was closed. Sunday used to be a holy day, not a holiday. Sunday used to be, in fact, that's you go back in record books, when they started playing baseball on Sunday, a lot of them were tied because you had to go to church on Sunday morning. You could play Sunday afternoon, but if you didn't get it done before the Sunday evening service, the professional games ended in a tie. I remember when police officers used to be able to come to church on Sunday because there was no 49er game. <laughs> My wife's not been a 49er fan, but I'm, I'm whatever. But... Um, when they were doing so poorly, she said, we never have to worry about a tornado around here. I said, what? She goes, you never have to worry about a tornado around here over the stadium, especially there's never any touchdowns over there. <laughs> He's writing about his city, how bad it is. In verse 12, let me summarize it. I'll be quickly, quick now. He said, is it nothing to you? All ye that pass by. Is it nothing that our city is crumbling? Our states are crumbling. Is it nothing to you that America wants the proud jewel? Is it nothing to you that we lead the world in everything? We've taken the lives of 60 million babies. When my wife and I got married, you could not do that. I wonder what doctor we took his life. It could have been the invader of uh, a something for a cancer. I, I wonder what leader we took his life. Life is valuable. When you become a doctor, we have about 70 some people in this church, maybe 80 that are in medicine and doctors and whatnot, nurses. Uh, you give an oath that you are going to preserve life in our constitution. Life liberty in the pursuit of that. We are a nation of people that believe in life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says you have the, your father, the devil, who was a murderer from beginning. That Satan is death and God is life. Think how we're, over the last 12 years, we've just discovered how we're mutilating the bodies of children in America where children should be protected. 
or find that there's absentee dads and our mothers isn't nothing to you. I tell you something, uh, it's something to our law enforcement. They're, they're, they're living with the ramifications of our sin. There's 660,288,100 police officers. And there's 380,000 churches, but our churches used to be, it used to be open on Sunday morning and Sunday night. But you can't find a church open on Sunday night. In a day where we need God and God's house more, we're closing the church. We're building these edifices just to play in church one hour on Sunday morning. Is it nothing to you? All ye that pass by, it's something to these officers. It's something to this church. Dan and I just turned around. I saw you. You were a little girl. Now your kids are all grown, gone. But when you rode that bus, yeah. your sister was four when she rode the bus. And now the last, oh, I guess 25 years, she's been a preacher's wife. Her husband's suffering with cancer now in Pennsylvania. I think of you, Teresa, you were just a little girl when you rode the bus, and now you're a mother of five. And your brother, you never had the, the right home. It was just a session. You saw drugs and drink, although you never touched them. Your brother never touched them. Saw needles. He's been a preacher for 25 years, rode the bus. That's why for 30, 47 years we've ridden, we, 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 we've had these 30 buses that go out, pick up boys and girls and men and women, mom and dads to the house of God. So I have one of our men that used to live at Juvie Hall. He's now a grandfather, but he's the chaplain at Juvie Hall. And we find sometimes some bus kids down there. Oh, I know you from church. I'm not saying it returns out right, but I'm saying the church is burdened about people. I'm burdened today about the high schools here. And I go by the schools and sometimes just park my car and pray for that public elementary school and junior high or high school. Why? Somebody's got to intercede on their behalf. We have public school teachers here. God bless you. That you go into these places and try to do your best to help kids. I'm saying today, is it nothing to you? That's why we take 100,000 Bibles every year to our city, door to door, and I'm finding, you know, Chief, it's an amazing thing what I found out that during COVID, people want the Bible. We've had five different jails in this area call us and say, we need Bibles for the women's prison or for the men's jail or for the men's prison. We need Bibles, and we take hundreds there. And one week, we had five jails call. That's why Jerry Whitlow, one of our men, is out and he's out preaching revivals in prisons and jails and will that today all over America. And I think of that one man who was a famous rocker in the largest rock band in America, got saved in prison. And now he, lifetime sentence, is his music director when he goes to that prison. I think there's hope for America. Jeremiah tells us who suffers. He says, one, children suffer when we introduce sin into our life. He said, chapter one, verse five, her children go into captivity. 
Our, our kids so many times just are, are into, they're arrested not by, military, by, by police, but they're arrested by sin and sorrow and suffering. Her children, verse 6, they swoon in the streets. What, what that simply means is they're ruined. In the streets, chapter 2, verse 19, her children are faint, they're hopeless. If you don't believe that, I try to do everything I can to always be kind to teenagers, whether they come to this church or not. Go by any bus stop and watch the kids. They're not happy. They're not laughing. They're not smiling. They're not talking. They just stand there or they're on cell phones and there's no communication. It's, it's hopeless. The Bible says that children, they ask for bread. Chapter 4, verse 4, or something, is there anything that will satisfy me? The songwriter said, only Jesus can satisfy your soul. You know who suffers, children? You know who suffers? The Bible says in this text, young men. Chapter 1, verse 5, they're crushed. I don't love to see, I don't like seeing young men, they're, 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 they're torn down, they're wrecked through drugs and through drink and for immorality. The young men go into, into captivity, chapter 2, verse 18. They're controlled. The young men are lying, the Bible says, in the streets. There's lie in the streets. And every city in America has seen that, including here. Well, there's lie in the streets. When, and, and the Bible says in chapter 5, verse 14, the young men have no music. There's no joy. There's no happiness. Young, young children and young, young adult men should be happy in life. And then he says the old men too. The old men are trodden under feet. The old men lie in the streets and in the gutters. You know, when we had God, we didn't have all this mess. You remove God out of the equation, you have a nothing but a mess. God's our only hope. Lastly there, the mothers, chapter 2, verse 12 and chapter 2, they're brokenhearted and they're widows. They're alone. Men abandon them. You know, men that are here, you get married. You don't get married to abandon your wife. You marry that for better, for worse. God's our only hope. America has not really been established with all the Constitution properly and everything. But there were millions of people here in 1741, and America had gone into drunkenness. We were a drunk people. Immorality was in the streets. A man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a preacher in Massachusetts and Connecticut. He stood and he preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. They said people gathered and hung on to pillars, even in the church, inside and out, as he preached with such authority and power. He said he was a, one of the most, uh, most intelligent men of the day, a smart man, but a great man of God. And he preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. They said it's the first awakening. There's been two awakenings in America in the second awakening that came about 100 years later, Congress voted to produce Bibles at government expense to give to people because of the debauchery of sin in the 1800s. 
And you know, when Jonathan Edwards preached that message, sinners in the hands of an angry God, the nation came back on July the 8th, 1741. Is it nothing to you? The only hope we have is God. Christ is our only hope, not religion. Not religion. God's word says, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Religion cannot save you. A pastor or a priest cannot save you. The Bible says in Hebrews, a priest standing daily in the temple can never take away sin. I cannot remove your sin. A priest cannot remove your sin. You say, well, I gotta get my sin removed. I'm a, I, I was born a sinner, all have sinned. The Bible says, well, how do I get it removed? Well, you say, well, I think I'll do good things. No, the Bible says, Titus 3, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but it's according to his mercy, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God. Young people up here, the only hope you have is to begin a life with Christ. A life, I, I saw that preacher up there. He's a layman, a businessman. By the time he turned 18, he'd already lived in 22 homes. He found himself in Washington State in the gutter with drugs. But thank God someone cared enough for him to tell him how to get saved. And years ago, years ago, decades now, he got saved. He's a layman with a very good business, but he comes and he preaches to you kids every week. I remember my boy for 12 years preached to you kids. He loved the bus kids. We've done so wrong to you. We've given you a nation of rebellion. And down here as well, we've given you hopelessness. But there is hope in God who sent his son. I'll close my Bible and give you hope. I can remember 1956 so well. My dad worked at Central Chevrolet. My uncle worked at Turner Ford in Centerville. Turner Ford, you could put one brand new car in the showroom, and Central Chevrolet, you could put two. And they'd soak the windows up in normally October and then hide the new cars in there. They would change every year their design. And then they'd have a searchlight, and they'd go all over the place, and that was an opening night. My dad said in 56, let's go look at the Chevys. My dad was a good Christian. We, went go, we would not go look at Fords. You've got to be kidding me. We went and looked at 56 Chevy. I remember the color two-tone. It's such an exciting event. You know what else happened shortly after that? About October, November, I was sitting in our little church. We had no electricity, lanterns were glowing that night. And our preacher preached on going to heaven and getting saved. I knew I was a sinner. I'd get so mad and I had an angry temper. And I remember that night sitting next to my dad. And they sang a hymn of invitation. I didn't go forward, but I remember about the second or third stanza. And I said, Pastor, I need to get saved. Now, on that night, Mrs. Morningstar, her husband was the superintendent of schools over here in San Jose. 
she led me to Christ. For me, it was like this. I just prayed, dear God, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. I ask Jesus to save me and forgive me of my sin. I didn't become a Baptist. I didn't become a church member. I didn't become a this or that. I became a Christian. Are you a Christian? Is it nothing to you that people have not heard that? Is that nothing to you? It is. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Our Father, it's been a wonderful service this morning. So honored and grateful to have these officers here, their families. We think of those at the stadium right now. Please keep them safe today and in the streets of our city. We dedicate this year to the, I pray there not be one. My prayer is not an injury or a death of an officer, male or female. Please keep them safe. Please comfort their family. May they realize that their mother or their dad is loved, respected in this city. And may we demonstrate that to every officer. I pray today for our members that are here, and I pray for those that are visiting us. May we know beyond a shadow of a doubt we can be born again. What a glorious day when you wrote my name in the book of life in heaven in 1956, so many years ago. I thank you gave me eternal life. I don't deserve it. I have not lived right. I've done so many wrong things since then. But I'm your child. I'm so very grateful. With our heads bowed and eyes closed. I wonder how many, and I'll not point out one person. That would be rude of me to do that. I won't talk about where you're sitting or who you are. But today you'd say, Brother Treber, I know I'm saved. I've asked Christ to be my personal Savior. As I have a birth date, I know the day I got saved. With no one looking out of respect to one another. You say, I know I'm saved. Could you lift your hand? How many know I'm saved? Hands are up everywhere. God bless you. How many would say, I don't know. If I were to die today, if I'd go to heaven, pray for me. I promise you I'll not describe who you are. I'll not, I'll not call your name. Pray for me up in the balconies, the lower floor. I need to be saved. I need to be saved. God bless you. Yes, thank you. And you, yes. Who else? I need to be saved. I need to ask Christ to be my Savior. We just slip it up and put it down. Father, you see these hands. You know their hearts. I pray that this will be the day of their salvation. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, we always give an invitation before the service is over. It's an invite. If you'd like, regardless if you raised your hand or not, if you'd like to come forward and ask Christ to be your Savior, a man will show a man briefly. A lady will show a lady briefly. Would you like to do that? All over the house, people will come. Some of you ought to come and pray for our country. You ought to pray for our authorities. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.